Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Realm presents Beatrix Green, Episode 3. James's anger was a pulsing force shooting through him. Those bloodthirsty fools at the gates, nothing was enough for them. Now they're inviting themselves inside of their house as if they had a right. He seized the handle and flung the door wide. A cold wind rushed inward. A figure stood in the inky darkness beyond the faint circle of gaslight. A footfall sounded as the man stepped forward. Hello, old boy, a familiar voice called. He recognized the man immediately. The sandy blonde hair was still as rakish as it had been in school. Indeed, it was in a state of nearly loose dishevelment. Stanhope? James asked, incredulous. The anger drained out of him, leaving confusion. The last time he had seen his friend was back in London, months ago, and James had never mentioned anything about traveling to Ashbury Manor. Yet here Stanhope was, standing at the door and expecting to be let inside like Lucifer himself. Edward Chesterton, Lord Stanhope, gentleman, hedonist, and all-around rapscallion, was James's only friend from boyhood, and one of the few titled peers he still called a friend. As usual, Stanhope radiated wealth. He wore the most stylish clothes, always favoring the flashiest of pocket chains, the finest of shoes. What the devil are you doing here? James returned Stanhope's greeting. What the devil are you doing here without telling me? Imagine the volumes of my heart having to learn of your return from servants, gossip. His dark eyes emanated a strange yet familiar combination of warmth and disdain. I... James found himself at a loss for words. Stanhope had always been interested in Ashbury and its dark history, but James thought it a 
fascination of his youth, his sudden appearance was unexplainable. Are you going to invite me in, old chap, or do you insist that I stand out in the dark all night? Well, yes, uh, come in, of course. James stepped out of the way, and with that, Stanhope stepped over the threshold. His friend glanced around the room, pausing in nearly predatory appreciation at the sight of Beatrix. James felt immediately protective of the medium. You should have told me you were coming, he practically growled. Beatrix looked at James, a question in her eyes. He dreaded the moment the question changed to realization. He'd hidden too much. But what would be the fun in that? Stanhope replied as he traipsed out of the entryway and toward the great hall which beckoned with firelight. The rest of the guests followed. I've never had a proper look around here, you know. Spent every holiday at my father's estate, didn't you? Except that once on our way to Lady Edwards. Ah, but to think, we could have come here and entertained ourselves all through school had we wished. Stanhope, James said, his voice full of warning, but Stanhope either didn't hear him or chose to ignore him. It hasn't changed much, I'll say that. Stanhope paused taking in the circular table and surrounding chairs. His eyes crinkled in more mirth. Oh, it's not, is it? A seance. Where's the crystal ball? Stanhope turned back to the group. His disdain abraded James's already strained nerves. Allow me to present Miss Beatrix Green, noted medium and spiritualist. James was somewhat reassured to see the spark of dislike in Miss Green's eyes, even as she inclined her head slightly at Stanhope in acknowledgement. Enchanting, Stanhope proclaimed. He captured her wrist and brought her hand up to his lips. Beatrix drew back her hand in thinly veiled disgust and stepped back to the table. Mrs. Amanda Reynolds, a famous photojournalist and photographer. James moved past Beatrix, forcing himself not to respond to her nearness. Stanhope tried the wrist grab again, but Amanda was expecting it and redirected her hand into a handshake. Charmed, Stanhope intoned, but James recognized a familiar tightness around his eyes, a clear signal of annoyance as obvious as a cat's swishing tail. And Mr. Harry Smythe, James concluded, who is attending Miss Green as a chaperone. But of course, Stanhope cut a leering eye to James. Uh, hello to you, Mr. Smythe. James frowned. He wouldn't have his friend impugn Miss Green's character. We just arrived by separate carriages, James said, hoping his voice would chill Stanhope's assumptions. We're here to conduct a... His friend interrupted. However you arrived, it's good to see you here. Stanhope threw his expensive cloak carelessly on the floor and crossed to the sideboard. He poured himself a large glass of scotch. James tried desperately to think of a way to signal Stanhope to stop the certain revelation. An investigation into the occult, James continued, hoping the term would distract the other man. No better. You were to this manner born, as they say, Stanhope said with aplomb. He lifted his glass. Let us drink to celebrate your return, 
to Lord Ashbury. Amanda gasped in surprise. James felt a familiar twisting in his core, an ugly, roiling thing. Shame and guilt and grief, not just for everything that had happened here, but that he was now exposed before Beatrix. He glanced at her involuntarily. She was looking at him as if there was some mistake. Harry's voice broke the silence. You're Lord Ashbury. Harry took a step forward, hand outstretched, an invitation to explain. No. Beatrix shook her head. You're James Walker. Scientist. James looked at her at a loss for words. I... I admit I am both Lord Ashbury, owner of the manor, and James Walker, the name I prefer. His chest tightened as a keen eyes took in every detail anew. You lied to us. Beatrix's voice was soft. James felt the shame of the accusation, her disappointment. I didn't, James implored. I am a scientist, and I do want you to practice your craft here. The people at the gates, Beatrix continued. Prowls. Stanhope dismissed with a lift of his chin. Amanda simply looked confused. The dark past of the house. Beatrix ignored Stanhope, quoting Doyle. James felt it lance through him. She knew now. She could see. It doesn't matter, James evaded. Truth and a lie combined what he wished were true. Beatrix was looking at him reprovingly. His eyes drifted to the sweet peep into her bosom, radiant and familiar. His mother's favorite flower. His mother. And Thomas. Oh, God. James felt himself breaking. The marked reserve with which he always carried himself. The careful cultivation to be anyone other than Lord Ashbury. Words stopped in his chest. An explanation or confession he didn't know which. Beatrix looked at him. Pity. Damnable pity and anger in her gaze. A single ragged breath soared from James's lungs. I intend to sell this place, James murmured through clenched teeth. I will not live here. I have not returned. You can't sell the place. Stanhope ignored the others, focusing on James alone. I assure you I will. James stepped away from Stanhope, away from the table, retreating to the fire, even as he felt the looming family crest above the mantle, the scorpion poised to strike. What the deuce are you having a seance for, then? Stanhope challenged. He held his hand, turned slightly up, an aristocrat's bearing as he stalked after James. I, I want to, to be sure before. James hated the stammer in his voice. You won't sell, you can't. The house won't let you, old boy. Five hundred years of history won't leave you be. Stanhope moved to the table. He flipped his coattails and sat. Anger burned in James's heart. How easily Stanhope dismissed the past. I will sell. James's voice was firm. I abhor this place and everything it stands for.
every stone, every joist, every damned plaster filigree. Just give it a night, Stanhope averred. You'll change your mind. James sighed. I'm here now, at any rate. And I'm here to support you. Stanhope held out his glass in salute. You came here for a seance, yes? He looked around the room, meeting their waiting gazes. Then by all means, let's have your seance. Outside, the wind howled approval. Beatrix crossed to her seat, trying to quell the fire burning in her chest. She was here to perform a service and collect her wages. What did it matter that James had lured her here on pretenses and lies? Lies, when all he'd asked of her was the truth. Well, two could play that game. She'd give him the answers he sought, take his money, then be gone from his life and this place forever. She refused to look at James as he sat down beside her. Harry taking the seat on her other side and Stanhope sitting across from her. Amanda remained standing, attending to her two cameras. With Stanhope so close, Beatrix felt her skin crawl. She'd always known Stanhope's ilk. Odious, condescending, entitled. The type of man who took what he wanted and more. A man who would be friends with someone like Lord Ashbury. Stanhope rapped his knuckles twice on the table. This shall be fun, he pronounced, as if the seance were his idea. It is clear my friend Ashbury has not told you much, but this manor has history. Ancient history. Ah, the tales this house could tell of the legendary men who lived here. Beatrix glanced at James. No, Lord Ashbury. He wore that aloof mask once again. But she couldn't help but recognize the fine lines of strain at the corners of his eyes. It is indeed a very old house, James drawled, a slight insulting emphasis on the last word. There he is, Stanhope crowed the master of all he surveys. The timbers of the floor beneath them sent up an approving creak, settling imperceptibly in the way of old structures. Let's get on with it, James said, looking at Beatrix with something like resignation in his eyes. Or was it hope? Perhaps both. Beatrix nodded. She extended her hands, one to James, the other to Harry, the others joined hands, closing the circle. Stanhope didn't bother to whisper. Isn't she going to get out a red candle or a deck of cards? Miss Green doesn't use any of those trappings, James said. Stanhope made a noise of disappointment. You may close your eyes if you wish, Beatrix said smoothly. For some, it helps us connect to the world beyond our senses. For others, it is an impediment. Please do what feels right to you. Beatrix closed her own eyes for the moment. Next to her, James was suddenly so still she could practically feel the tension vibrating inside him, 
like a soundless chord being struck. Yes, it was time to begin. Beatrix took a deep breath. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. James heaved a sigh, unable to deny both his impatience and complete lack of surprise. What had he expected after all? That the ghost of his mother, or of Thomas, would appear to him? That they would absolve him? Or that the enchanting Miss Beatrix Green would be the real thing? She'd connect to the other side and give him proof somehow unlocking the prison he'd been trapped in for twenty years. How disheartening to be so foolish. James glanced at the clock on the mantelpiece. It was nearing a half hour since they'd started. Of course, the medium wouldn't give up easily. Though she was no doubt aware of his frustration, he could feel her near-singular focus on him, even with her eyes closed, even with her mesmerizing voice chanting low, murmurous words about stillness, about spirit portals, about gazing into themselves and attending to ethereal currents. Mrs. Reynolds moved behind them, taking pictures. She was stealthy as a cat, so much so that James was sometimes surprised by the sounds of her Kodak. Harry was certainly giving a worthy supporting performance. His head was lolling around like a bad pantomime of drunkenness. Of course, his goal was to look affected by the power in the room. The young man's black hair flopped over his closed eyes as his head lolled forward again. I see a portal. Beatrix spoke softly. Something dark within. Her eyes snapped open, startled. She glanced around in surprise and caught James watching her. He quickly adjusted his gaze to the candelabra. But he could hear her, beside him. She was panting, almost in fear. She was a very good actress. James heaved another sigh. I can feel it coming for you. It wants you, Beatrix whispered urgently. She squeezed James's hand. Something, no. Someone stands in the way. 
the peace you need. You will not find it here. James struggled in vain to keep from rolling his eyes. At least he could freely sell the place now, nightmares be damned, lest someone else take on its burdens. He should end this charade. Miss Green, I appreciate you have done your utmost, but we may all admit the seance is a failure. James glanced around the circle. Despite all your skills, you have successfully proved the ghosts are not real. He could not keep the edge of bitterness from his voice, couldn't stop the wave of disappointment. What had he expected after all? Simply to feel his mother's presence again. The way she'd been before. Only the impossible. He truly was a fool. Quite disappointing, that, Stanhope said. It would be more fun if they were. He let go of Harry's and James's hands and leaned back, removing a cigarette case from his pocket. James still held Beatrix's hand. She gazed back at him, her hazel eyes unfathomable. Perhaps we should be more patient. Mrs. Reynolds murmured. She took another picture, this time focused on Beatrix and James. Harry admirably had not budged. His head still hung forward. I can feel it. Beatrix shook her head, a hand squeezed his. I will not reveal your ruse nor impugn your name. You will still be paid. You may cease this charade. James tried to tug his fingers away, but she wouldn't let go. On the opposite side of Beatrix, Harry made a bizarre, gasping noise. Easy there, Stanhope chuckled. Harry's head was no longer lolling. It had flexed up in the opposite direction, painfully extended, the muscles strained in his throat. Mrs. Reynolds moved swiftly to her standing camera and repositioned it. She took a photo, then trained her smaller handheld camera at the contorted Harry. You may both stop, James scolded. He struggled to remove his hand from Beatrix's grasp. Let go! Her grip was shockingly strong now. James glanced back at her, sharp words on the tip of his tongue. She was transformed somehow. Her charming, cameo-perfect face was serene, the wariness gone from her gaze. It was almost as if someone else looked out from her eyes. Beatrix turned her uncanny stare on him. Goose flesh drew taut along James's arms. Her voice, when it came, was the tenderest breath, heart-piercingly familiar. Why didn't you come to me? James's heart stopped. Why didn't you? The voice higher than Beatrix's own, and with a slight French accent. Maman. No, stop! James felt his voice rising. He forcefully pulled his hand away from hers. Beatrix still didn't let go. She was yanked forward with the force of his recoil. Portions of her hair tumbled loose, unfurling over her shoulders. Harry flopped over, pulled like a train carriage behind her. Beatrix's eyes rolled up in her head, uncanny whites gazing sightlessly at him. It was... Too much. Too obviously unreal. My son. 
she was imitating his mother's voice. That was all. It was a guess aided by his own need. Nothing more than a cruel, opportunistic deception. She was a fraud, just like all the others. Bitter disappointment at Beatrix's betrayal surged like bile into his heart. He had thought her real, authentic, worthy of his hope and trust, but no. She would stoop to this. She would wound him, use his life's biggest tragedy to... to... Profit. The word was a sulfurous cloud in his mind. Raw feeling racked him open, unleashing all the emotions he hid, all the emotions he tried to bury, to control. The terror of that night. Grief, loneliness, and abandonment. Loss surging into rage. How dare you! James tore his hand away. This time it came free. He shoved his chair back and stood. You profit from pain, mademoiselle. The French word leapt from his lips, his mother's language widening the crack in his facade of calm. How he wished he could snatch the word back, bury it with all the other memories he should have never sought to resolve. You profane the memory of my mother. His voice was cold, even as anger blazed in his chest. He had to control himself, had to regain control. Mrs. Reynolds stopped taking pictures, gazing at him with a dawning pity. Damn it all to hell. Get out of my house! James heard himself say. His voice sounded different, uglier. Distantly, he wondered if he had meant to call it his house, and realized he had not. Bravo, old boy, Stanhope cheered, rapping his knuckles on the table. Out of your house indeed. Beatrix dropped Harry's hand and reached toward James, a heart-rending plea etched on her face. Albie, my Albie, she called to him. James's heart spasmed in terror, ice in his veins. She couldn't know that name his mother's pet name for him. No one knew it, not even Stanhope. James fell back a step. Stop! He was no longer certain who he begged. Beatrix's hand slapped down hard on the wooden table. Her body gave a shudder, nearly grotesque. Harry's head lolled forward again, suddenly, as if a puppeteer's strings had been cut. Beatrix's right hand rose into the air over the table, she was clutching a knife. Where had it come from? James took in the fine detailing of the handle and felt the blood leave his face. Leave! His mother's voice screamed out of Beatrix's mouth. James cried out as the knife drove down sharply, the blade piercing the wooden table. The moment felt suspended in air like a held breath. Beatrix's hazel irises looked out in confusion. She still held the handle of the knife, a pale hand squeezed so tight the knuckle showed white. B! Harry lunged forward. Are you alright? I'm... I'm... Beatrix stammered. She looked around helplessly, her tongue darted forward to wet dry lips. James was unmoved. 
His blood ran cold, furious at everything she had just done, at who she pretended to be, just to shake him, or more precisely, shake him down. Get out. James took one step forward, back toward the table, back toward ownership of this moment. I want you to leave at once. James's voice was utterly cool, belying how truly shaken he felt. Unless there's more to the performance. Beatrix leaned toward him, desperation creasing her features. That wasn't me, she cried. In her hand, the knife slashed across the table's surface. It wasn't me. I don't know what that. The knife pulled against the table again. A grating scratch emanated from the blade as it damaged the wood. A horrified gaze watched the knife drag across the surface of the table once more, like it was completely out of her control. I'm not doing this, Beatrix cried. She desperately tried to remove her hand from the handle even as it carved a long mark in the table's surface. Amanda snapped photo after photo, winding her film forward expertly without looking. The knife raised and speared the table again. Beatrix seemed to summon all of her strength and forcefully pulled her hand away from the knife. She leaned back in her chair, panting, rubbing her empty palm. All on its own, the knife remained impossibly poised on its tip, as though it were held over the table's surface by an unseen hand. There was a moment of absolute stillness. The seance attendee stood frozen in shock at the spectacle. And then the knife moved, slashing at the table two more times. Beatrix cried out and stood back from the table. James grasped her by the elbow, pulling her away from the knife. She shivered in his arms. On his other side, Stanhope cursed in awe. Harry jumped back, knocking over his chair. Amanda Reynolds alone stepped forward taking photo after photo. The knife stabbed and dragged itself across the table two more times. Finally, the blade ceased its terrifying, inanimate carving and clattered over to one side. A single word gleamed out from the mutilated wood. Run. Beatrix's heart shuddered in her chest, calmed only by the solidity of James's chest at her back. Impossible, Harry breathed. He turned wide brown eyes to her. B, how? She shook her head. How, indeed. Someone or something spoke through you. No, not possible. Singular, Amanda agreed. She stepped forward, placing her camera on the table. She touched the knife, then lifted it. Beatrix recoiled from the blade like it was a snake. We should do another seance at once. Stanhope was animated with wonder and a ghastly eagerness. Beatrix felt James shudder. No. He withdrew his arm. He reflexively smoothed his hair, then his coat, as if by smoothing his outward appearance he could somehow reclaim his inner self. 
that she had seen his face as the knife slashed its warning. James was scared. What? No, no, old boy, you got a response from a ghost. We can't stop now. Stanhope stood and crossed to the sideboard as he spoke. He poured two scotches. It wasn't just a ghost. It was her. James's voice was uneven with emotion. The words echoed in Beatrix's mind. It was her. How she wished that were true. Something, no, someone had used her, reached through her seeking James. She felt like crawling out of her skin as she recalled the feeling of being inhabited, of hearing someone else speak with her voice, of being controlled. It had nearly been painful. Beatrix could sense it, could still feel it pulsing through her, the presence of the other, a torn throat, a heart-rending pain. There would be a reasonable explanation for all of this. Perhaps her empathic sensitivities had, like a team of spooked horses, trampled into unknown areas of her mind and created an experience outside of her awareness. But deep down she knew this was not true. The yawning chasm of realization stretched out before her. Ghosts are real. She had based her whole life on the idea that the other side was just a fantasy, a tale your grief told you. She had earned her keep bringing the comfort of this lie to others. But now she had not only spoken to the dead, she had been the dead, been possessed by the dead. It was real, and suddenly Beatrix was a part of this place, this haunting. The knowledge that ghosts were real, that malevolent spirits were real, felt like falling, falling endlessly, like a nightmare, knowing inevitably that she had to land. Rage and fear rose within her, and she turned to James, or Lord Ashbury, as she should say. You lied to us, to me, and yet you accuse me of deceit? Beatrix pinned him with her eyes. I think it is time that you tell us your connection to this house. As if her words were a pinprick, James's shoulders lowered, deflated. Beatrix stood, trying to ease the lingering feeling that her body was not at her command. Why are we all here, Lord Ashbury? Truly, why? Amanda asked softly. The photographer stowed her camera and pulled out a chair to sit. James took a deep breath, as though preparing for a plunge. I've been having nightmares. His impeccable posture returned, almost as if the admission, or what he had to say next, required the utmost resolution. In my dreams, I can hear my mother and my little brother crying, pleading. His words were quick, clipped. Beatrix studied him. His face was taut and flat as a mask, but his eyes kept darting to the knife resting on the table. I had to know, James continued, if the dreams were simply dreams, no doubt caused by the anniversary of... Of what? Amanda asked, clearly mystified. Oh, 
James let out a pained laugh. <laughs> Mrs. Reynolds. So you hadn't guessed? You must be the only one. His eyes glanced at Beatrix. She had to look away. The anniversary. Amanda's voice was faint as if she were on the cusp of realization. The people at the gates. Yes. James turned away from them all and moved in front of the fire. He stared into the flames. Beyond him, outside the dark windows, the night was inky black. Twenty years ago, James said, my mother killed my little brother. Then she killed herself. There was an audible gasp from the group. Beatrix felt the breath catch in her lungs when he said it so starkly. When I started having the dreams, I thought, what if? James's words were automatic, as if he had placed a needle on a phonograph within himself. What if, he continued, still staring into the fire, my dream was somehow more than the ghost of a memory? What if they were actually here, ghosts or spirits, or whatever we call them? What if they were using my dreams to call to me? James drained his glass and placed the empty tumbler on the mantelpiece. It seems so absurd as I say it now, but that's what I thought. Why I sought you out. He gave a short laugh. Hell, why I sought everyone out. Every single medium, spirit guide, spirit photographer, haunted house, seance. I hoped... His mouth snapped shut, but Beatrix already knew what he hoped. Her heart wanted to ache for him as it ached for all the other grieving souls she'd always tried to help in her own way. If it wasn't for Harry, she might have lost herself completely in her own grief. And Harry had always believed in ghosts. She remembered when they were small, lying in a shared bed with Harry, telling each other tales as the theater rumbled into the small dressing room. Harry never talked about his mother, except in the dark. I've seen her. Little Harry had said. He turned his adorable, huge brown eyes up to hers. I've seen the ghost of my mother. Three times. After the deaths of her parents and the fire, she had nearly found herself attending to the other side, as if it were real, like Harry believed it was. Hoping against hope that, with each client, she would somehow catch the whisper of her mother's laughter, or smell her father's pipe and now she had seen it was possible. Despite everything she'd told herself, her years of work as a medium, her identity as a fraud, Beatrix now knew that ghosts were real. Her entire belief system, her entire being had changed in an instant. The truth was like a hammer to her soul. Stanhope's voice cut through the jumble in her mind. And so what does your mother want, James? Why call you back here, then tell you to run? He gestured toward the knife. It lay still, innocuous, its wicked edge gleaming in the firelight. A dawning realization, horrible, occurred to Beatrix. Do you recognize that knife? She asked James. Yes. His voice was dispassionate. It belonged to my father. It's the same knife my mother used to slit her throat. Amanda gasped. Beatrix had no memory of the moment the knife had appeared in her hand. It simply happened. 
One moment, the knife was not in her awareness at all. The next, it was heavy in her palm. Run. The possession was like standing at the far side of a tunnel, looking back at herself. James's mother in control, desperately angry, somehow bringing forth the blade. She felt utterly repulsed by it now, even though it appeared handsome, suitable for a lord. The carved antler handle inlaid with mother of pearl, a broad blade that came to a diamond sharp point, shining as if it had been recently wetted. Impossible, Stanhope seized James by the elbow. How could it be? I don't know, James shook his head. James's eyes were still fixed on the weapon. I should have saved him, he said quietly. His little brother. James started pacing, moving relentlessly like a caged animal. He'd still be alive. His hands were in his hair, his eyebrows lowered in anguish. Harry held out a comforting hand. You couldn't have known. A blind affirmation, based on hope and nothing more. I knew. James wore a poisoned smile of self-recrimination. Why do you think I hid from her? You were a boy, Amanda put her camera on the table. A child? James shook his head. There's only one resolution. We must summon your mother again. Stanhope clapped his hands together, then gestured for the others to join him back at the table. We must perform another seance. Beatrix couldn't deny a feeling of looming menace. The scarred table shone like a beacon. Run. Would it be easier for the ghost to take control of her the second time? The knowledge summoned bone-deep terror. No. Beatrix pulled back from the group. Forgive me, but I'm leaving. James looked at her, stricken. No, Miss Green, please stay, he implored. He reached out a hand. Run. Beatrix flinched. You don't know what you've unleashed. Please, I need you. My mother, don't you see? He said the words in a rush. He was usually so composed, but the seance, it seemed, had unleashed something in him. Run. The ghost didn't want them there. The threat was real, and she had to escape it, not just because it clearly wished them harm, but because she had already been a conduit for it. What would it make her do next? Run. Lord Ashbury, I am sincerely sorry for your loss. But I cannot help you. I must leave at once, and I strongly suggest you do the same. You may forward our things to the inn, along with the rest of my payment, or to my apartments in London. She saw James wince at the title. But he didn't contest it, nor make any claim that she hadn't performed as hired. If you must go, I accept, of course. James had pulled himself back inward again, the mask descending once more. But still his eyes pleaded. Beatrix forced herself to look into those eyes. She forced herself to remain cold, in control. Harry, will you please escort me to the heart and hunt? B, I will escort you, of course, Harry said, buttoning his coat. My regrets, Lord Ashbury, Beatrix said, but her voice held defiance rather than apology. James inclined his torso toward her in a stiff, formal bow. He said nothing. 
She turned from him, feeling a chill as she moved away from the fire and crossed to Amanda. Amanda took her hand in both of her own. It was a delight to meet you, Mrs. Reynolds, Beatrix said. I do hope you will look me up when you return to London. I anticipated with pleasure, she replied. Stanhope stepped into her path. There was an unpleasant scent when he drew near. Not just the overabundance of his cologne and moustache wax, but something underneath. Stale. No, worse. On the verge of putrescent. Perhaps I may look you up in London as well, Miss Green. A creeping smirk lifted the corner of his mouth. I have a family locket that I would very much like to know more about. Perhaps you could use your... He paused, taking her hand and bending over it, breathing onto her wrist. Talents. He pressed cold lips against her hand. Beatrix had to stifle the urge to yank her hand away. We shall see, Beatrix said tightly. At the end of the front hall, the heavy door hung open, beckoning, never having been closed after Stanhope's arrival. Shall we? Beatrix offered her arm to Harry. Harry took it. As they walked, Beatrix tried to shake off the sensation of being watched by inhuman eyes. She could feel a looming presence becoming larger as she neared the door. It was massive, like a rock shelf hidden in the darkness. She quickened her step. James, Stanhope, and Amanda were shadows at the edge of her vision. There was a boom, like the single footfall of a beast, and the door slammed shut. The heavy deadbolt creaked, moving without the aid of a human hand, just like the knife. Metal screamed against metal as the broad bolt shot home. Harry ran for the handle. Adam, open the door, Mr. Walker. Beatrix's heart was in her throat. Harry, the servants didn't shut the door. The blood drained from Harry's face and he let go of the handle as if burned. They fell back, retreating to where the others stood. They were all locked in, trapped in Ashbury Manor. You're listening to Beatrix Green, narrated by Sharomi Arsario and Alistair Austin. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Beatrix Green is written by Rachel Hawkins, Ash Parsons, and Vicki Alviar Schechter. It is produced by Haley Wagreich and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Kaylin West. 